Good morning. It's Tuesday, May 11th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shemitha Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Violence is quickly escalating in the Middle East. It's the biggest eruption between Israelis and Palestinians since President Biden took office. And now this administration has a tricky new foreign policy challenge. This morning, Hamas again fired waves of rockets at Israel. The Israeli military retaliated with airstrikes on Gaza. Palestinian officials say some two dozen Palestinians have been killed, including nine children. Israel's National Ambulance Service says two people were killed inside Israel. The Washington Post details the many factors leading up to the deadly escalation. In a conflict with such a long history, it's hard to point to any single event as the catalyst for the violence that we've seen in the past few days. But there are a few recent incidents that are important to understand. One flashpoint is Jerusalem's old city, where Al-Aqsa Mosque is located. Jewish people call the site the Temple Mount. Recently, as Palestinian worshippers tried to gather there after Ramadan feasts, they clashed with Israeli security forces. On Monday, these confrontations intensified. Hundreds of Palestinians and a couple dozen Israeli police and civilians were reportedly injured. At the same time, a legal battle has been brewing in a mostly Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem. Israeli settlers have been fighting for decades to evict Palestinian families who are living there. Clashes got more intense ahead of an expected Israeli Supreme Court ruling, which was postponed in an effort to de-escalate the violence. As things were heating up, the Biden administration started getting a lot of calls from within the U.S. to take a more active role. As political frames it, the administration was trying to step back from this age-old conflict and focus on bigger threats that directly affect U.S. national interests. But the recent threat of more violence led U.S. officials to step up involvement. Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor, called on his Israeli counterpart to urge restraint. And Politico says this may have had some effect. Israel blocked a parade of Jewish nationalists from going through the Muslim quarter of the old city. Still, Politico points out that some Israeli officials have been critical of U.S. intervention. Even if President Biden would rather focus on other parts of the world— It's no easy thing to escape a conflict that has transcended generations, nations, and faiths. With so many people vaccinated, many of us will likely be heading into the office in the next few months. Will you? Should you? The Wall Street Journal has some practical tips on how to make the right call on a question that can impact your career and your whole life. The journal points to this one survey that shows 43% of remote workers worried if they stayed at home while others went back to work, they might not have a job for very long. Now, a lot of people are hoping for some kind of compromise. Around 90% of people in this survey want to spend at least one day a week working from home. The journal offers some questions you should try answering for yourself to figure out how to broach the ongoing work-from-home conversation with your employer. Are your skills unique? Does your role generate revenue? Have you been at this job for a long while? If so, you may have more leverage. Many firms learned a lot from the pandemic that people can be productive at home. Still, one executive coach tells the journal showing up to the office may boost your employer's trust in you and get you some more independence. 
Some companies and managers aren't being explicit about how strongly they feel about having people back in the office. That's why so much of this is about decoding the messages you're getting at work. So these are the key signs they say to watch out for. If your employer is giving up office space or hiring people who aren't in the area into remote roles, that's a sign they may be committing to the work-from-home model for the long term. And let's be honest, if they're hiring more local people to work in the office, that's a sign you may want to come back in. And focus on what your boss is doing, not what this person is saying. On those video calls, is she sitting in her office or at her house? And look at the perks. If you get free breakfast or lunch when you come into the office, that's the sign they want you there. As one executive recruiter tells the journal, there's never going to be a better time to negotiate working remotely. The key is being smart about how you do it. Charles Darwin, he was intrigued by disgust. It's one of humanity's basic emotions, right up there alongside anger and fear. And there's an evolutionary reasoning behind why we feel it. The thinking goes, when our ancient ancestors were figuring out what to have for dinner, breakfast, lunch, whatever, disgust helped them avoid eating something dangerous. But in a new essay in The New Yorker, Jai Young Fan takes a hard look at all this. This is a pretty extensive essay, and in it, she argues we should rethink the concept of disgust. Fan spends some time with the people behind this museum in Sweden. It's called the Disgusting Food Museum. It's a really popular tourist attraction, and the concept is they collect foods and recipes from countries around the world, and all these foods are chosen to offend the palates of visitors. The creators of this museum say they have good intentions. The idea is that they're exposing people to foods beyond their comfort zone, as a writer puts it. Much like little kids need to try foods many, many times before they overcome their natural sense of disgust, visitors to this museum could have a similar experience, maybe walk away with a new perspective on the cuisines of other cultures. But there is an undertone that Fawn points out. Having certain foods talked about as being inherently gross, it reminds her of coming to the United States from China when she was a little kid. She talks about one of the first times she experienced disgust on an airplane to the U.S. looking at that in-flight meal. It looked like dumplings in a goopy white sauce. She thought to herself, is this a dessert? It was cheese ravioli, and the unexpected texture and taste of it stayed with her for weeks. She says being a new immigrant is like being trapped in a museum of disgusting foods. And then she talks about the deluge of racist messages she got around the same time former President Trump started calling COVID-19 the China virus. And a lot of it focused on food, attacks that linked Asian foods to the pandemic. Ridiculous, hateful, but Fon says, after you hear these attacks over and over and over again, it's impossible not to internalize it. As Fon writes, the attacks on people of Chinese descent were, in a way, the weaponization of disgust. And she suggests we go beyond our gut instincts. The ability to transcend that is part of what makes us human. As she writes, to be disgusted is natural. But to understand why we are disgusted requires us to reconfigure the way we see the world.
This next story is about a strange combination. The rapper Ice Cube versus that controversial stock trading app Robinhood. The Hollywood Reporter explains how these worlds are colliding in a First Amendment legal battle. Listen to the song at the center of this case. You better check yourself you wreck yourself, I'm bad for your health. That line, check yourself before you wreck yourself, is the key to this case. Yeah, a few weeks ago, Robin Hood did this post about tech stocks, and they used Ice Cube's picture, along with the caption, correct yourself before you wreck yourself. You get it? This is like a stocks joke. Tech stocks were down in correction territory at the time. Whatever. Maybe it's not the greatest joke. In any case, Ice Cube's legal team did not find this joke funny at all, and they sued. The rapper's lawyers say the Robin Hood post falsely implied Ice Cube was endorsing the app. Robin Hood fired back in court filings, and the fight was on. One legal question is whether what Robin Hood did was simply a news article rather than commercial speech. If so it might be protected by a fair use defense. What's really funny in this story is reading these rap lyrics being dissected using dry legal language. Like, take this. This is coming from Ice Cube's lawyers. If plaintiff uses his signature catchphrase, check yourself, the public has come to understand that he means business and is serious. (laughs) And this is coming from Robin Hood's filing. They say it was just a parody of a ubiquitous phrase, one that is, quote, used by all walks of life in American culture. This all comes down to, can Ice Cube claim the phrase, check yourself? Or is it now so widely known that it's part of the public domain, free for all of us to use? You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.